Hope you had a great uh, holiday weekend. Uh, some of you are in town, perhaps visiting family. That's why you're here. Or you uh, came to church on a, on a snowy winter Sunday morning. You, you looked out the window and thought, you know what I should do today? And it wasn't playing the snow with the kids. It was, let's go to church. Look at you. Gold star. Congratulations. Nice work. We're glad that you are here. However you found us and whatever brought you in this morning, uh, we are honored uh, you'd take time out of a, a busy weekend checking it out. Uh, with us, we are in part four of a series, teaching series. We teach teaching series around here, so um, spend a little bit of time on one specific topic till we jump to the next one. Um, the series is called On the Road. Uh, it's a series on, we, the subtitle of it is uh, a series on restlessness or restless hearts. Um, and the idea being with that is that we all have experienced our own fair share of restlessness. We've been on the proverbial road of life, coming in and out of relationships, coming in and out of jobs, coming in and out of um, holidays and, and years and all of that stuff, and with kids and different seasons of life, and, and there becomes restlessness, and what about this, and what about this, and, and it's not like you're not happy right now, you are, but we always, we're, we're chasing, we, we still chase, we, we do this like, I need more things. Is there a weekend um, in the American calendar that plays more to our desires uh, than Black Friday weekend uh, in, in America, this chase of, I'm not happy, but I could be, if only I could buy whatever it is uh, that I think that I need, um, because something, somebody told me that. Uh, listen, we paid cash dollars for a paper newspaper this week, everybody. They still make them. I don't know if you know that. Um, because of ads, we're like, we just cannot get enough free ads on Facebook. I need, I need Fred Meyer to tell me what I need to purchase and what I need to like buy in order to experience happiness. I'm not even sure what I can't live without, so please show me, Fred Meyer. It's, is it socks? It's socks, isn't it? It's socks. We'll go check that out. And then we buy the socks for half off, mind you, which is a screaming good deal. We make our, make our annual pilgrimage once a year to Fred Meyer to see what they've done with the place. And be like, oh, this is very nice. Congratulations. And it wasn't socks. It wasn't socks. How could it be socks? How silly of us. It's not socks. It's a Theragun. That's what I need is a Theragun. Instagram's telling me a Theragun. Happiness is just a Theragun purchase away. And if you're not familiar with what a Theragun is, here's my pro tip for you. Say it out loud one time. Your phone will somehow hear your voice and it will start showing up on all of your Instagram ads. And I know that because I mentioned it at the chiropractor's office once. I'm like, hey, what is that? And she says, it's a Theragun. I said, that's cool. I've been inundated with Theragun and off-brand Theragun ads for the last three weeks. I can't explain it other than they're listening in, everybody. That's what I do know. I'm fairly confident that Mark Zuckerberg is hearing me right now, right now, talking about all of that. Um, so I want to be a millionaire. So if you hear that, Mark Zuckerberg, tell me, figure out how to do that. I just keep saying that over and over again. So the idea behind the series and, and desires and chase and on the road and restless hearts is this answering the question, or at least at least asking ourselves the question. Maybe, maybe it's enough to do that. I don't even know. But maybe it's enough to ask ourselves the question, what do I really want when I think that I want fill in the blank? Um, so what is it that I really want when I really want this? And um, so for the first, in week one, this is part uh, four of a series. But in, in part one, we kind of set the stage for just desires and, and, and you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we, we, we said last week, or two weeks ago, what, is it, what do I really want when I want to be free? 
what do I want when I, I just like, I just don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I just want like a little bit of liberation. I want like the freedom that comes when you're 16, you get your car, when you, when you just tell your boss to do whatever, cause I'm quitting this job and I don't even know what I'm going to do next, but I just want to be free of this. Um, we talked about last week, what do I really want when I want to be noticed, which is a big feature for us with uh, social media and everything else that we do. We just want to have meaning. We want people to look at us and be like, good job, you. And you're like, good. I'm glad that people noticed me. And that's fine. And uh, and we said from the very beginning of this series, we're not talking about these are like evil desires and you need to come and learn like routines, church routines to be able to like rid yourself of these desires. That's not the goal of it. We're always going to be on the road in this way. I think God created us. That thing was ingrained in us. We said last week that we've been ingrained with this. And yet we kind of keep going to the wrong source of what should be fulfilling for us and it keeps under delivering and we keep being frustrated at life and more and more restless and there's a guy who wrote a long a book a long time ago 1600 years ago a saint named saint augustine um, and, and he wrote this book called confessions where he dealt with kind of this stuff it's almost like an autobiography of sorts that uh, is, is worked through and and uh, it's been i, I mentioned this na- uh, last week aside from the new testament no other book has shaped uh, modern-day Christianity or Christianity as a whole throughout its history as much as Augustine's Confessions. Um, so we've been kind of piecing through this. In case you didn't want to read it, I, I've just been highlighting a few uh, things that have jumped out to me as I've been processing through this and reading this. So today, um, the, the part that stood out to me that I want to talk about and post-Thanksgiving is this idea. Oh, by the way, and this is, um, there's been some uh, talk. Uh, he's got a lot of different uh, versions of it. In the same way that there are a lot of different translations of the Bible, there are actually, his book is so old and so popular, translations of Augustine's Confessions. This has been the one that I've been using. So if you've heard these phrases and been like, I don't think Augustine would say those, like that modern way of talking, you're right, he wouldn't have. But this uh, woman, Sarah Rudin, did a translation of that I've, I've really enjoyed. And today we're going to be uh, looking at a story that's going to explain why there are bites out of the pear, which is kind of a contrast between bites out of the apple. It's not an apple, even though Adam and Eve did the apple. This is his confession of something different. So we'll get there in a second. But I want to talk about what do I really want when I want to belong? That's what we're talking about today, this idea of belonging. A significant piece of our existence is spent trying to belong. We buy things, we wear things, we say things, we watch things, we do things, we smoke things, we drink things, all for the chance to hear those blessed words, hey, why don't we, or hey, we should, And when we hear that word, we, as in you and I, both of us together, there's something that gets excited about that. We should go to a Cougs game. Wouldn't that be fun to go to a Cougs game and watch them finally win? Yeah, that would have been nice. We should have done that. What's wrong with us? We. We should do a Friendsgiving. We should start a group. We should go to church together. See, I'm like a little biased in that last one. That's just me feeding you to be like, yeah, yeah, they should. Anyways. The irony of the road to self-discovery is that our individualism remains oddly communal. Like we are a, a, a nation and a people and a, a, the, the ethos of kind of the, the millennium, millennial generation is go and find yourself. REI tells us to buy these clothes, go out in the mountains and, fi- and, and find ourselves and be authentic. And I don't need you to tell me and I'll, I, don't, you know, I don't need the news to tell me how to think and I don't need this and I, you know. I don't need anybody else. I can, I can kind of self-manage this and, and uh, operate in my own self-discovery. We're on this path towards self-discovery, and yet it remains oddly communal. I'm going to go find myself. 
You want to come along? You want to go with me? You want to do this? That's why all the, all the good self-discoveries are always good buddy movies too, right? They're never on the road by themselves. There's always somebody along with them. There's always a partner, um, whatever it is. So what do we want when we want to belong? Do we want affirmation? Do we want co-conspirators? Do we want people to blame in case things fall apart? Whatever. So the series has been following along in the story of the life of St. Augustine as described and descripted in his confessions. Um, just to summarize his work for you, I mentioned this last week, but a big summary of his, uh, the overall text is basically this, restless hearts and misguided loves, restless hearts and misguided um, loves. I, I, I'm restless, I, I, and, and yet I keep going to all the stinking wrong things. And I've, ta- I've taken things that are good and I've tried to make them ultimate and, and it ruins the actual thing that I want. I, I, I think that you made marriage for a, you know, to be a, a picture of what our relationship could be like, but I've, treat- I've sunk so much into this. And then he said he wants out. And then this fell apart. I sunk so much into my kids because I love my kids so much. And then they're going through this phase where they're like, I can't stand mom and dad. And you're like, oh, and they go and park in Target parking lots and you find out about it and you're like, all right, you know, and it's so, it's hard for us to kind of resonate with this because we've placed so much weight in things that don't deserve that much weight. So misguided loves in that way. In book two, so it's the the actual book of the Confessions is broken down into books. There's like 12 or 13 books in this whole series. But in book two, he recounts a time when he and a group of friends were overcome by a kind of mob mentality that led them to steal fruit from a pear tree that didn't belong to them. And it wasn't because, and he would say this, it wasn't because we were hungry. We ended up just throwing it to some pigs. We did it just to do it and to enjoy the feeling of doing it. His quote is literally this, I love doing it for the fact of the theft itself, nothing else, since in itself it was nothing, and this made me that much more pathetic. That's why the picture of the chewed-on fruit at the very beginning of the book on the cover of the book is, uh, or the, the pear is on there, because he he. It's a confession of I did this, and I didn't. It wasn't because I was hungry. I was just like, there was something else going on in this scenario. So let me give you an example too, in kind of more uh, modern day parlance or whatever. Um, I was when I was a youth pastor. I worked for my dad over in Pasco at a church over there for five and a half years. When I was a youth pastor, I got a call early one morning about one of our best students. Um, who occasionally comes here, and I was going to like call him last night and be like, hey, man, is it okay if I talk about this? Um, but there's like a statute of limitations. This was like 10 years ago. I feel good about it. He's like married, has kids now. No problem, right? Um, uh, he's from, so he lives in, pa- he lived in Pasco. We lived in Pasco. And on Road 68, if you've ever uh, been down Road 68 towards the river, not towards all the shopping stuff, but away from all that, there's a house right off the main drag there that has got these big, enormous dinosaur statues. I don't even know what they are. I heard that they were from like an old mini golf course. That's what the rumor is anyways. That's what my wife said. So if I'm wrong, it's her fault. Anyways, and they exist in the back of the yard. And if you didn't know, like in your drive, I imagine people driving down like, oh, this is cool. This is an interesting part of Pasco. Is that a long neck brontosaur over there? What is this? Anyways, giant, for whatever reason, giant dinosaurs, multiples of them exist in like their backyard. Um, so Carl, did I already mention his name? I probably shouldn't have done that. Hey, Carl. Uh, watching online. Hey, Carl. Uh, Carl and a bunch of friends decided one night to go dino nap these dinosaurs, kidnap these dinosaurs, um, take them to Pasco High in the middle of the night and string them up on ropes and hang them from the trees outside of 
uh, Pasco High. And uh, they got the dinosaurs. They got them all the way to Pasco. While they were stringing them up, Pasco Police Department came through and, uh, and they got busted for it. So that's why I feel like I can talk about it, because he already paid the penalty for it. I had to do a bunch of community service. It ended up being that these dinosaurs, they, they claimed that they were worth some enormous stupid number, $12,000, $8,000, and they're like, oh, come on, for a dinosaur. Anyways, it was, it was one of those things where it wasn't, uh, and they wanted to press charges. It was, it was a bad deal. It was a bad deal. And I remember talking with, because I get this call, and I'm laughing about it. I'm, I'm also like, that's kind of funny. Nice work, dude. But I, also, I have like a responsibility. Like, I'm their, I'm their, path, their kid's pastor, and they were pretty involved in the church. And so whatever. And, and it was kind of one of those things that you get, you sit them down later, and he's got a smile on his face. He knows he got caught. And you're like, what were you thinking? And the response is the same thing that you've asked your kids when they've done something stupid like this. Uh, it's this, that we were bored. It's we, we were bored. It's never I was bored. You do not do this in isolation. You're not sitting there playing video games and think, I think I'll go rob dinosaurs out of somebody's backyard. We were bored. We did this together. And then you ask them, why'd you do it? Why did you do it, right? And, and the response is, I don't know what you want from me. It felt like something to do. They're just dumb dinosaurs, right? This is the, the spot. And then I remember, like, my dad is my my dad was my boss, and 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 so that's that was an interesting dynamic. And I remember him hearing about this story and being like, "That's you know, just not having an, so far removed from being a high school kid bored with their friends, looking at me, going, what do you what's going on? What are you teaching them in this?'" I'm like, "Yeah, that no, that's on me. That's my fault. We just finished a series on lawn ornament theft, so that's my that's my bad." Um, so that was, that was interesting, too. Uh, this, this idea of what were you thinking, right? And they're just dumb dinosaurs. That's, that's essentially a, that's a legit response because they are just dumb dinosaurs. And for him, for Augustine, r- r- you know, referring to this, we stole this fruit from a pear tree. Um, who cares about a couple of pears, right? I mean, the answer to that question is nobody. And him recounting this, it was never about the pears, um, he sold himself out for the sake of belonging. And that's the part that got him riled up. Because for sure, like, he never got, <laughs> even if he got caught, like, even if the owner was like, hey, don't steal my pears. They're not coming after you for pears, right? I mean, that's just like, it's stupid. It's just something small. It's something dumb. But as soon as the words are spoken, hey, we should go do this. Hey, let's do this. We should do this. He would say, in those moments, for some reason, I lose myself to others. I am product of those I surround myself with more than I would like to admit. And he's lamenting his human propensity to lose himself to others. And he would say, I know it's just a pair this time, and who cares about stupid pairs, but it's not really about the pairs at all. It's as if when he writes this in book two of this, of this confessional story, he's recounting in his mind all of the ways since then that he has lost himself to others based on his desire to belong. And you've done that too. And I've done that too, looking back on my life going, why would I have done something like that? In isolation, I would not have done that probably. In fact, he mentions that multiple times. Multiple times you'd say, alone I would not have done it. Alone I would not have done it. No less than four times in this book. A healthy reminder, alone I would not have done it. 
yet I've done a lot of stupid things. Perhaps your biggest regrets in life and my biggest regrets in life and looking back on them were not done in isolation. There were other people egging us along, weren't there? And in our desire to belong, we made some decisions. We lost ourselves to others. And then when our parents pulled us in and be like, what were you thinking? You go, I don't know. I don't know. We were just being kids. We're just being youth. And it's fine when it's pears. And it's, it's only slightly okay if it's dinosaurs. Apparently, if they're expensive dinosaurs, not as much okay. That's okay. But it's okay when it's like that. But he's not reflecting on that. He's saying, in my life, I have spent a mass majority of my life overly concerned with belonging And that obsession has allowed me to lose myself sometimes in the process, that I have made decisions that do not reflect me. In how many ways, he would ask himself the question, a great question for us too, in how many ways have I lost myself to others? This would be a fabulous question on Thanksgiving weekend to wrestle with this week. In what ways have I lost myself to others? When I'm around some certain people, do I, do I make decisions that are not in line with my standards and my, my uh, habits and my this, and that's not who I want to be, but yet when I'm around them, it struggles. Again, Augustine several times says, alone I wouldn't have done it, and we as the reader don't doubt it because we, for the sake of being we, have done our own dumb things. What does he love when he loses himself to this gang? He loves the association, the belonging, the affirmation, the recognition, And for him, it's a distortion of true belonging, which is what he's going to come around to in a bit. I wanted to belong so bad, and I kept thinking, it's with these kids, it's with these people. I I, I need affirmation. I need to know that I'm okay. I need to know that I'm accepted, that I'm included, that I belong. And I thought it was with them, and really, and he, he would say this, and if you're not religious, then you don't have to jump to the same conclusion. I'm just telling you what he led to. I I kept searching for a resonance of the fact that I'm okay and I'm accepted and I did it in all the wrong places. And I would do it in, in later on he would talk about uh, relationships, um, uh, sexual relationships. I kept searching, I kept searching, I kept searching. And, and, and I, I know it's not right now. Now I'm, I'm looking at it years past and, and, uh, and I realize I've been going to the wrong source all the way. And it's this desire to be one, and this desire to be affirmed, the desire to know accepted, to be accepted. Um, he would say this, those are legitimate desires. Like, you gave me these. Last week, I mentioned that in one specific piece where he like almost shakes his finger at God and, be, and is like, you can't blame me for wanting to have this because you ingrained this kind of stuff into me. Reminder that this is not a series of getting off the road. Let's stop caring about acceptance. Let's not, stop caring about belonging. You will never get past that. It is part of our human psyche. This has never been a series about coming off the road. It's about changing how, the way that you live on the road. The desires of the heart are valid. It's about turning them towards the only thing that can actually deliver on those desires and those values. And Augustine would be the first to admit, belonging can actually be a two-sided coin. It doesn't have to be always negative in this way. The same person who just said, alone I would not have done it, would also go on to say, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happy without friends. I couldn't be happy without friends. As much as, as much as I look back and there have been instances where they have pulled me down, I also look at my own level of happiness and realize without them I could not experience a perspective on happiness and fulfillment and joy without friends. If friendship can be a dangerous enemy for him, for Augustine, it is also a conduit 
of grace. And here's how we know this. Friendship reveals a perspective of grace that I might otherwise miss. And friendship reveals a perspective of myself that I might otherwise miss. There is a a level of grace that comes in a true good friendship that you don't get by yourself. You don't don't need to give yourself grace. You you fully, you you know you, you you understand all of your motives. You understand all of those things. There's something about a friend who offers that to you. There's something about the way there are people in our lives that bring out sides of us that don't come out by ourselves in isolation or with other most other people. There are certain people in my life who make me laugh like in the way that it's like embarrassing the faces that you make when you're laughing. Uh, this last summer, we had a friend in town and uh, we played a game on the back patio because we're like big board game people when people come over. It's a game called Wise and Otherwise, and you finish these like sayings from all of these cultures that you're not familiar with. So there's a there's a, a a wise old I don't know Persian saying, you know, and then it starts the phrase, and you have to finish it. I'm not like selling you on the game. I don't get any cut for that Amazon. Although I could Amazon if you're listening in, I did talk about it. Anyways, uh, and we were playing this game, and he had brought his two daughters. One was in high school, and one was in college, and then. My family, and so my oldest daughter, who's 11, and men are wives and all that kind of stuff. It's a big, big outdoor thing. And the opening, and I don't remember what culture it was supposed to have come from, but the, the, leading, the lead line, I'm even debating saying this. I might pull this out for second service. We'll see. Anyways, the lead line was, uh, he who refuses the beans. So this could go a lot of different directions, right? He who refuses the beans, dot, dot, dot. And then everybody had to kind of submit their, so if you ever play like Balderdash or something, it's like, it's like that. You fill it in, everybody submits their answers, and then you have to read out and see which one is the right, you have to try and guess which one is the actual stupid saying, right? And he writes it down, and I can see, as soon as he's written it down and he passes it to me, he's got this stupid grin on his face. And he makes me laugh more than anybody else I know. And immediately, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to read this. I already know it's going to be inappropriate. It's going to be something. I'm not sure. And he's like, you know, and he's got this face on him, and he hands it to me. And so I'm, and I, you have to shuffle them up so you don't know who they come from, right? And then, and then I'm reading through, I'm reading through, and, I'm, and that's, I'm like, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. And then I get to this one, and I go, this is, oh my gosh, this is so it, right? He who abuses, <laughs> abuses, he who refuses the beans shall receive the frank. in front of his two college-age daughters and my grade school daughter, and I lose it. I lost it for like, and he's, and everybody else doesn't understand because they're not seeing the same thing I'm seeing except for Jeremy, who's like, go ahead, man, what's wrong? What's the matter? I can't get the words out of my mouth. I can't do it. And I said, I, I lose, I lose. I lose this round, I'm out. I don't, I don't, I don't win, whatever you want to do. Like, there is... He makes me laugh harder than, I, and I, I, I rarely laugh out loud at other people. I, I don't know why that, that is, but like, anyways, it just has that connection. You have this too. Like, you have that kind of person in your life. Whether, maybe it's not humor. Like, I value humor a lot, so like, that's a big thing for me. But for you, maybe it's like, they, the way that they talk, the way that they process through thoughts 
um, like because you va- you value rationale or something like that, and you feel smarter around these people or the way that they talk. It's just like you buy into them. Like you believe them more than you believe other people. With other people, you're like super skeptical. But with them, you're like, it just like the things match up more for me. And I'm, I'm in on, on whatever it is that they say. And I feel like smarter. I feel more like uh, there's like resonation there with, the, with, with this kind of way of doing things. It, it can vary all over the place, but there are friendships, like true friendships that draw us into a better perspective of who we are. It doesn't always, Augustine would say, it doesn't always have to drag us down. It has that potential, but friendships can also be something that lift us up and make us a better version of ourselves, a, actually a more authentic version of what we want to be. And on the process of self-discovery can be an excellent tool. And it's funny because it's with other people and we think we want to go find ourselves and we do this in isolation. But the best way sometimes that we find ourselves is to be around the right kind of people who draw out the best in us. And he would say, that's absolutely true for me. Friends are at the heart of Augustine's conversion narrative. They weren't seen as a threat to his authenticity. They were a lure in drawing it out of him. Friends who keep showing up, keep prodding him along, refusing to allow him to remain where he is and prompting him to answer the call. In fact, this for him, it was not humor. For him, it was... um, it was sort of a rationale. It was, it was a, how do you connect the dots about my desires? Like, I'm, I'm super skeptical about my own desires. I'm looking for answers for life's biggest questions. And I keep going here, and everybody's like, oh, for sure, this guy knows the answer. And he's like, eh, I'm, not for me. I, I just don't connect with that. I, I'm not, that's not me or whatever. And he keeps going around. He's like, I've spent my entire life reading all of the big fancy books with all the big fancy words. I've given me all the education that I thought this would, you know, this would help answer some of the, the wise sages of all of everything that's come before me, right? I've read all of this stuff. I've watched all of the films. He wouldn't have watched the films. But anyways, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I've done all of the things, and I've never found it. And yet, then he goes, then I found somebody. He makes this trek. He starts, and he's born in Africa, moves to Rome, thinking Rome's going to be the spot. Then he's like, it's not Rome, it's Milan. That's where the emperor resides. I'm going to go there. He goes to Milan, and in Milan, he runs across or comes across the, pa- the bishop or the pastor of the church in Milan, his name was Ambrose. And he goes, there's something about this person, the way that he talks, the way that he thinks, the way that there's a, he, when I'm around him, he draws out something in me that I think is a true reflection of myself. He says this in book 524, I fell in love with him as it were, not at first as a teacher of the truth, as I had no hope for that whatsoever in your church. I love this. This is a confession. He brought something out in me I knew I could never find at your church, God. <laughs> like, that's, that system is so broken, I, I, couldn't, I knew I would never find it there. But in his, him individually, I found it. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. But simply as a person who was kind to me, while I was opening my heart to take in how expressively he spoke. In other words, he admired the way in which he talked and not necessarily the content of it. He's like, I disagreed with the content, but his way of talking, he was so into rhetoric and teaching and all that kind of stuff. He's like, he was an expert in that area. And so I was drawn into his style before I bought into his content. But eventually that came around too, because I couldn't just sit there and watch good friends draw that stuff out. Good people, true friendships, prod and they, they, they pull people and they, they present something in such a way that I am restless with myself because I don't like what I've accepted as normal and I want to become a better version of me because of the way that he or she lives their life. My heart to take in how especially he spoke, there came in at that time, merely step by step, a sense of how he truly 
spoke. There was something about the way that Ambrose lived that challenged him to do things differently. Uh, Martin Heidegger is a, a philosopher who kind of talked about the differences in terms of authenticity and discovering ourselves. And this contrasting this idea of people, there are people in our lives who, who leap in to situations and leap ahead, leaping in versus leaping ahead. Let me explain this because this is something we're, I'm wrestling with even as, a, uh, as the pastor of this church. We all have people in our lives who uh, lead in such a way, they're people who leap into situations where we are struggling who want to solve things for us. We call them helicopter parents. We call them uh, people who don't allow us the agency to kind of uh, dis- like make our own decisions for us. They, they want to come in and connect the dots for us. And it's fine when you're like three and you need help connecting those dots, but it's, it's frustrating when you're like in high school and college. In college specifically, that's where you begin to see kind of more a hands-off approach. I'm going to allow you to kind of go off and think the way that you, whatever you want to think and trust that if you're eventually like on this pathway towards discovering truth that you'll eventually get there. But I don't want to like protect you and be like, no, no, that's wrong. Let me, let me, let me fix that for you real quick. That's leaping in. We're leaping in. They relate to me when others leap in my life, they relate to me in a way that takes over. It's an influence from others that robs me of my agency, makes my decisions for me, and turns me into a kind of puppet of the they. Often this will look like making things easier for me. They do it out of a genuine, I just want to make things easy for you. As a parent, you do things to help make things easy for your kids. I'll fill out that paperwork for you. You got a ticket, don't worry. I'll mail it all in. I'll pay for it. Don't worry. School-wise, let me do your homework for you. Let me do this. I want to make it easier for you, alleviating me of the burden, protecting me from having to face up to existential anxiety. The friend who leaps ahead isn't trying to fix things or alleviate the burden or disburden me of the choice I need to make. That's the difference between leaping in and leaping ahead. He looks at this and he's like, other people, when they've talked to me about religion, they've kind of tried to solve everything for me. They've tried to connect the dots for me. And he's like, I've just never resonated with that. For the first time in my life, somebody was there. Their presence was felt. I admired the way that they did their job, but they didn't solve things for me. They didn't correct me when I was wrong. They allowed me to kind of suffer through like this long, windy pathway towards you, towards truth, towards this. That is authentic care. The friend who leaps ahead is one who's glimpsed what you're called to be and is willing to let you be uncomfortable as you wrestle with the call, who loves you enough to let you struggle for your soul, but is standing by with a bandage and a map. Now, listen, I want to be that kind of a parent. I want to be the kind of parent that I I know... I know I have a responsibility up to a certain age, and I don't know what that is, to kind of protect them and to deal, you know, make sure that they're, it's safe and all of that. But there's also an age at which they come, and I, I don't know what it is, and perhaps those of you who have been you know, parents longer than me and done this, and your kids are grown and, and gone, and, and they still love, they actually genuinely like coming home for Thanksgiving. Um, so maybe you should be up here next week teaching us how to do this, but you, you allowed them, the, you, you've seen this, you have allowed them the agency to fail. And you didn't solve the problem for them. And in the moment, they may have blamed you and hated you and wrote all kinds of stupid things about you, and I can't believe you did this, and slamming doors and do this. And you, you, you went to your room, and you'd look at your spouse and be like, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? And you, and you don't know. It's a long-term play. But you're going to allow them to experience a little bit of failure, a little bit of something, a little bit of, I don't know, 
life. Knowing, listen, I'll always be here. Here's what you do need to know. I'll always love you no matter what you do. And I'm always willing to help whenever you want to ask me for it. And there may come a point where I just like, I'm looking at him like, I have to step in. Now I have to do this. I have to do whatever. But like, it's, it's a tension. It's a battle. It's a paradox. It's if I do that, then I'm kind of losing, I'm losing this, uh, like the, their ability to operate as an adult. And my responsibility as a parent is to raise them to make adult choices, not to make their decisions for them. As a church, I, I, I presented this thought to our board at our last board meeting as I was kind of reading through this and prepping for this series. And I, and I was saying, what kind of a church do we want to be? If we're a church for people who don't typically like church, and if we do our programming in such a way that makes things explicitly clear, here's how you believe what you believe, we're going to be very quick to shut down any heretical thoughts or heretical teachings. Maybe you are part of a church denomination. This is, by the way, a lot of, a lot of churches are like, for your sake, here's what you need to know. The Catholic Church forever had the Bible locked on a chain on the pulpit for like hundreds of years because they're like, this has got so much good stuff in it, but it's dangerous in the hands of people who don't understand it. We've got it. We're good. We know Latin. We'll teach you how to say it, right? Then the Reformation comes along and be like, give it, put it in the hands of the people. At least let them experience it. Are they going to read something and be like, oh man, the mark of the beast is definitely Amazon's new Echo Dot because it's got all this, and there's numbers and there's things, and you read it and you go, that's wacky, it's out there, it's whatever. There's going to be some failures, absolutely. But for the most part, like, I want to be the type of church that doesn't hold your hand through the process necessarily, but like is a safe enough place to be able to give you the wiggle room to kind of explore, to kind of go this way and that way, but you always know you got a safe place to come home and challenge yourself and, and grow kind of in that way. And, and, and Augustine would say, listen, those are the kind of people I want to surround myself with. That's the type of care and friendship that I expect from true friendship. Paul, Paul would, would write about this. Last week, I, I mentioned Paul writes the first letter. This, he has this um, correspondence that's been kept for us through, the, through church history with a church in Thessalonica. It's known as 1st and 2nd Thessalonians because there's two different letters. And if you remember what we said last week, the context of it was um, he was in the city for a while, started this church, uh, port city, very wealthy, lots of jobs, growing aggressively, one of the uh, uh, open cities from a, a, a Roman emperor perspective, like had a lot of things going for it. He's in there, but like trouble comes up. He has to leave immediately, like in the dead of night. And he's worried about what he started, but then wasn't able to finish. I didn't spend as much time with you talking about the Christian faith as I had kind of hoped I would be able to. I sent Timothy back to kind of talk through some things and and see some things. He sent some feedback to me. It seems to be a couple of you who are struggling with this idea of um, relying and being a burden on other people because you think that Jesus is coming back and it could be like next week, so why would I get a job? And he's like, you need to get a job. It's, it's not a good look for us that Christianity is the religion that just can come and be based on the, hey, we're going to talk about how you should love everybody and give up you know, yourself for the sake of others. And it's going to be for me. So you know, why don't you, you should do this, right? He's like, That's a, it's not good. That's not good. He writes this letter to them. And then here's what's interesting. We have a second letter to the Thessalonians because they weren't, Smart enough to figure it out the first time. 
when somebody comes back a second time, what typically happens when you tell your kids something for the second time? Is it more aggressive or less aggressive than the first time you said it? Yeah, exactly, right? That's what you see in 2 Thessalonians. So here, here's this text. Listen to this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's verse 6 of chapter 3. We command you, we, he's writing this as a kind of a plural, like we as the apostles, his, him and his leadership, the people who had come in beforehand. We command you, we command you. <laughs> Never use that. In the first one, it was like, hey, this is probably a good idea if you want to live the Christian life. If you want to follow along with Jesus' teachings, this is what it kind of looks like. Now, if, you, if we have any authority over you at all, if, you, if we have any perceived authority from you, if you think, well, we're going to go with, you know, we have a lot of opinions, but we're going to defer to Paul and he seems to know what he's talking about. If I have any authority in that way, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Far more aggressive, by the way, than First Thessalonians. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. When we were with you, nor did we eat anybody's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we were night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden on any of you. We did this not because we, have, we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Here's what he's saying. When I was with you, like I took this like, here's my approach. I'm going to encourage you in this way, but I'm also hoping that the way that I live my life inspires something out of you. I could have been like, hey, it's really kind of appropriate for um, somebody who's like a traveling kind of minister in this way to do some sort of an offering or some sort of funding. I'm going to do the work of the ministry so then you know, you can do this or whatever. But I, I didn't even do that. When I was with you, I lived my life in such a way that hopefully you saw it and were inspired as a result of it. Now I, I realize that didn't take, I have to be more aggressive I have to be more like, if there's any authority there, I command you to do this. But what he's saying is this, I had an authentic care. I wanted to live my life and I chose the path that hopefully lured you toward a way of doing things. Now, I know it didn't work out and I've got to be more aggressive, but listen, that's the point. This is what he's saying. He's saying, "I, I, I want to be somebody who makes people, when I'm around them, they want to be better versions of themselves because of the way that I conduct myself. For him, that's what true friendship looked like. I, he's like, I could have leapt in and I'm sort of leaping in now, but only because you forced me and you've backed me into this kind of corner where I just, you know, you keep doing this and you don't realize you have a blindness. I'm speaking on behalf of the people who are providing for you, right? I'm protecting them that you're, you're just missing this. But listen, I, I, I really desire to kind of, I don't want to leap into the situation. I want to leap ahead. I want to be the type of person who draws this thing out of you and draws the thing out of us. So what do we want when we want to belong? We want a sense of affirmation. We want a sense of belonging. We want this and that and the other thing. May we be the type of people who surround ourselves with those who bring out the best in us. May we be the type of people, the type of friends who keep showing up, keep prodding others along, refusing to allow them to remain where they are, luring, luring them towards their true calling. May we be the type of people who, when, when we're struggling with this, what do I want when I want to belong? And Augustine would say, I, I know it's not found in these people. I know you offer me a sense of affirmation, a sense of belonging that only that is the only thing that can actually truly deliver and, and deliver on the desires of my heart. God, find me people or let me surround myself with people who draw me towards that, who remind me of that. And maybe, may I be the type of person, Augustine would go, go on to say, because he would leave his life of like this public teaching and go be a, a bishop in, in Hippo, this like city somewhere. He would be, 
he, he would be, I want to be the type of person who's an Ambrose, who like Ambrose was to me, I want to be that type of people for other people. I want to draw them into, you know what you want when you want to belong? You really want him. You really want affirmation from the God who created you. You keep looking at all the other, these other places. What can I do to leap ahead in this situation, to lift your eyes a little bit above the horizon of all of the things that are immediately in front of you towards something bigger than that? So we, me, may we, may we be the type of people who not only find those people in our lives who lift us up and lift our heads up, but may we be the type of people who will do that for other people as well. What do we want and we want to belong? We want a connection to a creator God who looks at us and we, we walk away with a sense of, it's okay, I'm accepted, I'm included, I'm, 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 I'm this. I've got a God who loves me. May that shape the way that we go and live this week. Father, our prayer this week is that you would help this sort of sink in, whether it's the context of parenting like we talked about, maybe it's uh, an actual friendship thing, uh, maybe it's uh, a, a work thing for us, maybe it's just honestly in our relationship with you. Maybe... May, may we take evaluation of the kind of friend that we are, the kind of friend that we surround ourselves with, and uh, what that means in terms of belonging. So connect the dots for us. Give us the wisdom to know what this looks like in our life, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.